Hello, hello. Welcome to Ami Tuckered Out. I am your host, Ami Tucker Ravel, and I am here with my producer, Nazar. How you doing? Good. How are you? Dude, we got a full house today. Full house today. It's another fun episode <laughs> of Roundtable Talks. Yeah. And today we actually have two very special guests. Dejo Patel and Priya Rathod. How are you guys? Good. How are you? Hey guys. Yay! Thank you for joining us. And um, a little bit about them. Dejo Patel is a former divorce attorney turned certified kids and kundalini yoga meditation and mindfulness teacher. Uh, she helps the frustrated, the lost, and the uber stressed out mama get on the right path to raise the most calm, confident, and compassionate kids they can be. Over the past seven years, she's perfected the art of mindful play and has taught hundreds of New Jersey teachers how to bring mindfulness and yoga into classrooms with her Mindful Beginnings curriculum. And uh, Priya is a self-proclaimed inspiration addict, hoping to help women focus on self-care and positive self-talk while throwing in some motherhood moments and, of course, some fashion tidbits. Uh, she has spent many years working in corporate America uh, in media companies such as MTV Networks and Comcast Networks, and she has done some camera hosting for digital networks and TV Asia. She currently works for Indeed, writes for the Huffington Post, and Model Behaviors, which is a Dallas-based website focused on empowering and uplifting women, while she's also working on her Instagram influencer status. She is also proud mama to Arya and Anya. I think I got it, guys, right? <laughs> yeah, they're long so, list. I know. Yeah. I know. I'm like sweating. So the reason I'm so excited to talk to you guys is because I think as mothers, we're all trying to balance all aspects of our lives in the best and most positive way possible. I'm not a mother. Uh, not yet. <laughs> not- but, you know, this is good advice for you. Yes, because very much. When that happens to your wife, you will be, you know, you'll be, be prepared. Exactly. More than I already have. Full House taught me a lot. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And you'll listen to this episode in a couple of years. <laughs> All right? Yeah. We know this is a time where moms are kind of doing it all. And it's it's so hard to balance that out, right? Like I see I feel like we're all stressed and there's so many things to do. And I'm always fearful that I'm letting that stress out on my kids unintentionally. And I, I need to figure out how to keep this positive balance within myself, with my family, um, and of course with the kids, and also take care of myself. And it just it feels like there's just so much balancing to do and and it's so hard to figure out what's right and what's wrong. And so I think both you guys are kind of teaching and inspiring women and mothers to do that in, in different ways, but with the same synergy. So that's why I, I wanted to do this kind of fun brown table talk with both you guys. So let's get started. Uh, and Theo, I wanted to start with you. I, um, I know you left your career as a divorce attorney to be a mindfulness advocate for kids and moms. So, I mean, you got to tell me about that journey and the reason for such a big change. Yeah. So that's, that's a $100 question. I get asked that question all the time because it's obviously not a logical jump and nobody like grows up one day like, oh yeah, I'm going to be like a mindfulness teacher. Like, yeah, that doesn't happen. So, I mean, I can completely relate to you as what you're talking about from the parental standpoint of being stressed out and being overwhelmed, you know, having a short temper potentially. But I also have that same vantage point of being a child and being a very sensitive, very, very, um, I, I like to call myself from a very young age, I was an old soul. I felt like I felt things, I understood things at a deeper level. And, yeah. you know, I grew up with parents who are chronically stressed, you know, they're short tempered, you know, shame, blame, guilt, punishment was you know, that was like, as most Indian families, you know, maybe not all, but that's kind of how we were raised. And I was going to say, I feel like this is a, it is a very South Asian thing, guilt yes. and blame. And I feel like that's all our parents have, have that tendency. Um, and I feel like I was so, I mean, my brother, you know, he experienced the same thing, but I just handled it much differently. And I took it in to mean that I was bad, I was not good enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm stupid, you know, I wasn't that Indian kid who was winning spelling bees. So by all means, like, you know, that's like, oh my God, God forbid, like, what, what's she going to do? You know, I felt like I had this, like, 
you know, scarlet, like, like, A, like you are a failure and you are not living up to our expectations. And I carried that story with me. And I feel like a lot of my childhood was trying to seek approval or to get friends to like me or to be, basically, I disconnected to who I was and I just wanted to fit in. At 25, I found myself that I had walked the walk of what everyone deems that you should be doing. Like I was engaged to a doctor. I was living in California. I was making X amount of money. I was a, you know, I was an attorney and I was the most um, depressed. Um, I lacked self-confidence and self-love. I was just the most lost in my entire life. Wow. Um, Yeah. And being a divorce attorney actually was like my awakening. In the weird, yeah, I'm way. sure. Yeah, you know, but it was, but it was kind of cathartic because I was like, oh my god, I'm not the only person who has a fucked up feeling. That yeah, like doesn't have their stuff together because nobody talks about that. Nobody talks whatever you know behind closed doors, and you know, it's almost like you know, if you weren't abused or something really super traumatic happened to you, like buck up, like you don't have anything to be you know, complaining yeah. about. I mean, even that, I feel like that's something South Asians would sweep under the rug, yeah. you know, like, yeah. I mean, kind of everything. I mean, talking about your parents or their issues was just not even, that was never going to happen. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think that's a good point. I think not to go all Oprah Chopra, <laughs> but, you know, Oprah talks about speaking your truth. And I yeah. think that's a problem with South Asian families in general is that there's this need to make it look like everything is perfect and everything is right in place. And because of that, no one talks about those things. Exactly. And because of that, you then feel alone, Yeah, right? Like you're the Isolated. only one going through it. Yeah. And you know, so when I was the attorney, I was like, when I did all out of court divorce re- resolution, so I did litigation for a while and then I moved to divorce mediation and collaborative divorce. So basically the people who were coming to me were people who had families and kids and they really wanted to you know, move through this divorce proceeding in a way that they could co-parent. And it was very enlightening to me and very gut-wrenching at the same time because these were, this was the population of families who were really trying to do it right. And it was so inevitable that when you have trauma and unresolved emotions and just you haven't given the opportunity to yourself to express and feel your emotions in a constructive way, you conditionally love the people that you say that you unconditionally love. And unfortunately, that's your children. Yeah. And that was a big aha for me. Wow. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So you, you realized it then. And how long were you practicing? Uh, I practiced for five and a half years. Yeah. So it was in my late, I, I actually left my career in my late 20s. Um, and I was on my own personal journey at that point because I was, this was drudging up all the years of numbed emotion and pain and trauma from my childhood that it was like just putting a mirror in my face that I needed to deal with it. So I was going through my own personal journey of finding my way. And that's, you know, how I found Oprah and, you know, Eckhart Tolle. Of course. Who doesn't love Oprah? Super Soul Sunday. Seriously, my spirit animal. (laughs) Future presidents. Seriously, I hope so. I know. I'm impressed you found it so early. I have to say I'm in my late 30s and I just feel like in the past four or five years, I've started coming into my own. And not only coming into my own, I feel like the past, it's just been for me the past few years where I've started really looking back at my childhood mm-hmm. and kind of understanding things Absolutely. more and more. Yeah, so that's that's amazing that you were able to. And I guess it did help maybe being around all, all those couples, yeah. uh, those yeah. all those years it as an attorney. So, but yeah, one last thing I just wanted to say as I was listening to you talk, I was hearing a lot of myself in that, and I remember growing up and even up until a few years ago, I would always hear, "You're so sensitive. You're so sensitive. You're so sensitive." And then I remember watching Glennon Doyle Melton and her saying things and writing things like. I am a sensitive being and that is okay. It is okay that I'm sensitive. That's who I am and it makes me a better person. And I remember being like, yes, it does. It does. I'm not going to apologize anymore for being a sensitive person. It means that I think before I speak to other people, it means I consider other people's emotions when I speak to them or the impact that my words or actions have on them. And so... um, People have told me the exact same thing, Priya. 
You're sensitive. Mm-hmm. You're sensitive. I'm like, hell yeah, I am. Exactly. I'll give you a hug too. You know? <laughs> yes. It's fine. You know? I might even give you two. I know. <laughs> so, uh, sorry, Stajal. So you were saying, so you, you switched careers then. You were just like, I'm done. Well, yeah. I mean, it was, a, it was kind of a gradual thing. So when I got married, my husband owned preschools. So it was just like, I just kept getting this gnawing voice in my head was like, you know, as I was exploring like meditation and just like, you know, healing myself is like become a kid's yoga teacher, become a kid's yoga teacher. And I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? Like it just it the most illogical random thing ever, but it just, I couldn't ignore it. So I, I got certified and I didn't even really know what I was going to do with it. And my husband's like, you know, we own preschools. Like, why don't you just like teach it to the, like, He's if like, you really want to do it, why don't you just teach? I'm like, oh yeah. So yeah, you know, I, I was practicing, you know, during the day. And then I was teaching kids at our school in the evenings and at nighttime. And I didn't realize, but I had like this, I'm like a child mindfulness whisperer. Like I just have this weird connection awesome. to kids and they get it. And they like, want to be calm and like want to take deep breaths around me like I don't know what it is but oh my god can you come here please and stay with me yes oh my god it sounds amazing half the time without me and half the time with me please (laughs) oh I would you know it's just really weird I feel like children just gravitate towards my energy and it's a lot of the work that I've done and um yeah so that that's kind of and and it just kind of changed I started writing about it started speaking about it and you know it just stored organically just became like you know, I, I you mentioned, you know, how I came to this so young. I truly believe that our greatest pain and trauma, if we allow it to, becomes the path to our mission. And that's why yes. I truly believe that this Absolutely. happened to me at a young age and I experienced this and I had to, you know, I got the first call when I was 25, but I didn't heed it until I was 28. Like I still went through three more years of like drama, pain, suffering, and, you know, feeling like I'm the victim and, you know, F you parents or whatever, like just like the anger until I was like, wait, I got to take charge of my life because this is not working for me. So it feels like you have to kind of go through those steps, Mm -hmm. right? In order to, I mean, you can't just jump into, okay, I need to fix this. Like it feels like it has to be anger and acceptance and whatever whatever the steps are to get to that point. Um, but, you know, kudos to you for getting to that. What, did you have – you have one child, correct? Yeah, I have, I have a son. Okay. Um, I, okay. I, I went on this journey before I became a mom, and I think a lot wow. of it for me was the awareness that – these de- the patterns that my mom had within her her anger rages her her um her emotional rages that lived within me and even though i said that i wasn't going to do it i found in my relationships that anger because i grew up with it. it it lived and it was dormant and it was in me and so it was almost like a recognition that i needed to break the cycle and i didn't want to bring kids into my life until i could really get a better handle of myself and so, yeah, I, my journey did start before I had kids, but that's amazing because breaking that cycle, I think, is one thing that it's so hard to do because I'm, you know, I'm a mother, Priya, you're, you're a mother. I see things in me, you know, that I want to change and that I'm like, oh, wow, this is actually a cycle from my parents mm-hmm. or, you know, when I see my husband act a certain way, it's a cycle from his parents. Mm-hmm. And it's scary because, like, you know it and you know what's wrong, but then you're like, how do I break this? Yeah, how right? do you fix it? I yeah. Mean, I agree. I think for me, after I had kids is when I really started my journey because I started becoming concerned. That there's that, some other human being here that you are taking care of. Yes. And your actions now really matter. Yes, right? Yeah. That the things, all the things that I didn't like about myself or thought, you know, I don't want to pass those down, right? Exactly. So how do I continue to evolve and improve and make their lives better, right? Yeah. Not impart those things. Exactly. So them. I think it's awesome so. that Deirdre was able to do that before exactly. she had a kid. Because before that, I was like, yeah. <laughs> whatever. Me too. It's fine. I'm perfect. It's all yeah. good. So yeah. So I think that that's amazing. So you had your son. Yes. Um, and I have to say, I mean, exactly, you know, though the awareness started before, there's only certain things that you, like, your child will trigger 
unresolved wounds, right? So like, I, it's yes. like the work hasn't been done just because like I had the awareness before. <laughs> I've, you know, I've really had to fine tune and heal and grow. And um, I feel like because I became a parent, since I became a parent, I've been able to actually fully appreciate and be, find empathy for my parents because I can't say that I I even knew what the word empathy was um, until I became a parent. And yes, uh, I agree with that. Yeah. And it's yes. kind of embarrassing, but yeah, I really didn't have, I, I really had no idea what empathy was. I feel like that's common though. I feel like not that people that don't have kids are not that you guys aren't empathetic, but there's a whole there's a whole different level. I feel like once you become a parent, it just it does change you. Um, I, I guess I wanted to kind of go back to how you've talked about childhood anxiety and low self esteem, and you've been through it before. Mm-hmm. Um, are you open to talk about what happened in your childhood? Yeah, I mean, I'm an open book, so awesome yeah, for so, sure. If you can share it with us, because if other people have gone through that, I think it's a good way for them to, A, hear someone else that has gone through it and that is kind of taking positive steps to overcome it. Yeah. You know, I'm going to give it to you in the perspective of the awareness that I have now going back, only because when you're a child and your mind is unintegrated, you and, – and so many of us are walking around with these stories in our minds of our childhood – and they're unintegrated memories because we didn't have the tools or the ability to, to process what was happening. And I don't want to continue to, um, you know, if someone is really trying to heal or trying to make sense of what happened to them in their, their childhood, rather than looking at it the lens of like the four-year-old or the five-year-old, I want to kind of show you of like, I'm not invalidating what happened to me, but I'm looking at it at a lens now of someone who has the awareness and has healed that memory. So. You know, as a child, one of, you know, my brother and myself, our earliest memories was, could you imagine like a four-year-old and, you know, a a nine-year-old like sitting, cowering in the corner, like behind the sofa and it's pin drop silent. And, um, you know, because you hear this like raging anger and it's like an explosion and you don't know like who's going to make you food or you don't know, like you just have to be silent and quiet because you don't want to upset your parent. And it almost becomes like this mental game of what can I say? What can I do to make that person feel okay? Because you don't want that to happen. So it really like, and I was a sensitive being, I think more so than my brother and my dad. So I was constantly aware I could read my mom when things were about like something irritated her or someone said something in a way that offended her. And even though it wasn't meant to offend her, I could feel the shift in her energy. And I was always kind of trying to like course correct, like, you know, kind of stroke her ego and just be, you know, and then I did that probably up until I was, you know, nine. And then that's when my awareness was like, no, F that. I'm the child. You're the parent. Like why? Yeah, that's quite that's why, quite a burden. Yeah. It, it's like, yeah. why am I letting you get away with bad behavior and you yell at me when it's actually your fault that I didn't do anything? So it was like almost like a role reversal where I was I became very self-righteous and rebellious then because it was like, you right. know, if you're gonna be disrespectful for me, and I remember saying this as a 10-year-old, like you can't demand respect from me if you're not gonna respect your child. And it was almost like that, no, I'm the parent, I'm superior, you listen to me. And at 10, I had the awareness that, no, it should be respectful. And, you know, I'm not going to give respect unless it's also being given to me as well. So it was this weird, twisted, like, mental game of like, you know, one upping. And, you know, at the same time, we're as children always hardwired to seek the approval of our parents. So I still had this weird desire to like, know that my mom loved me. And, and, and she, she did in her own way, she showed it in her own way. Um, but as a child, it was what, what my definition now was of conditional love. And Got it. See those behaviors change in your parent after you started speaking out about it? So no, not in my teenage years, not in my 20s, because there was a lot. I, I realized when, when I was coming from the energy of victimhood and anger and, like I said, lack of empathy, of understanding 
where behaviors really stem from. And I think that came from my own introspective work because while I was pregnant, I was going through my year-long kundalini training. And what kept coming to me was that there was something that happened to her that causes her to experience trauma when she feels like someone is making her feel unsafe. And so I actually sat my mom down and I asked her, I was like, mom, did something happen to you when you were younger? Did someone take advantage of you? Did this happen? And she's like, yes, it did. And it's like something that happened to you and you're forced to never speak about it, talk about it. And so it was then able for me to see that how I had unintegrated experiences, she also had unintegrated experiences she was bringing into her experience as a parent. That's quite a breakthrough for you and and for her. Following up though, you had this conversation. How old were you when you sat your mom down? This was recent. So this was, you know, this was when I was 32. So I didn't have this awareness you know, it was only until a couple of years ago. And can I tell you, because you said, did things change? It changed after that point when I was like, mom, I understand you. I forgive you. And I understand what, why you felt the way that you did. And I tell you, I kid you, I feel like for me, the biggest miracle that I've seen in my life is that I help so many moms, but I've been able to help my own mom. Like at 65, she now meditates. She now, when she feels anxiety and she feels her stress and her trauma, she she takes deep breaths now. And I feel like if there was anything seeing it full circle, if I was put on this earth to do anything was to help her. And I'm glad that it happened I mean, at times, I was glad that it happened at the time that it did. You know, I wish it was earlier, but it happened when it was supposed to. Um, But that's how, like, cyclical, like, I had to be a parent myself to understand trauma and then be able to understand what my mom experienced as in her childhood and as a parent. So, I mean, look, that look, that's a thank you for sharing that. That's an amazing story. And I hope those people. And I feel like, you know, none of us have had perfect childhoods, you know, there's different intensities, but that's amazing that you were able to approach her about it. And then both of you guys are healing together. And, and I I guess let's go back to that. So I, I guess you, you do teach mindfulness and, how parents should de-stress, I guess, and, and not let it out on their kids. So how, what are some examples? Like how are we unintentionally stifling our children's confidence? Like what are some examples of kind of maybe everyday things that we do that we don't, we're not aware about or, you know, things that you have seen since you've been teaching this? That's what I'm worried about. So um, a lot of times, you know, I think it's like I was talking about, it's the power struggle. Like, inherently because we are intended to, you know, care and raise and, you know, we have this big burden of raising kind, loving, respectful human beings. Uh, A lot of times there is this power, inherent power struggle that tends to happen because we have this role and we, when we feel out of control or we feel like, you know, it's not moving in the same the direction that we think that they should be doing or growing or, you know, um, there is this subconscious power struggle that happens that sometimes manifests out in our conversations and the way that we treat or react or talk to our children. And so um, some of the ways that I've seen, um, like with parents, how how we stifle or we prevent them from truly like stepping in their power or recognizing their power is through their emotions. It is we feel triggered by an emotion because it's related to something in our childhood. And we project our own, you know, if we felt unsafe, we're projecting that back to them. And a lot of times, um, we're not doing it consciously, of course, but it's, you know, we stifle their ability to fully feel and express their emotions because it's uncomfortable for us. And sometimes we're like, just stop, like, we don't want to deal with it. And so that's the number one way. And I think with a lot of the research that I did um, is because I was totally inept at understanding how to express, feel, manage emotions. So understanding and learning and um, building emotional intelligence was 
one of the most crucial ways that I built a, built my self-confidence and actually built a relationship with myself where I actually like like the person that I was. And I think that's one of the greatest tools that we can give our children is helping them recognize, helping them have the tools to manage that, okay, when you do feel anxious or stressed or impatient or frustrated or jealous, it's okay to feel that. And then here's your next step of what you can do to help manage that. And it's not going to be 100% and it's not going to feel good. And it's not going to just go away with the snap of your finger, but it will make you feel better. And it's normal to feel that, you know? And so um, I think that's one of the most self-empowering things that we can teach our children is building that. And it takes like, and all it does take is that minute to stay calm and react properly or you're not even a minute that's those 10 seconds that reaction right yeah, is absolutely. so key and you can e- you can go either way you can snap and lose it or be like nope this you know this is this i understand daniel tiger's parents teach me a lot by the way yes but i love daniel tiger's yeah. parents yeah like when i watch daniel tiger i'm like wow i want to be their kid this yeah, is amazing exactly. but like, it's funny you say that cuz i had one of those moments this morning in the car actually with my older one because I've noticed the past couple of days, she's just, her tantrums have been more intense. And there was something, we were getting in the car to go to school and she didn't get something she wanted. Like Anya had the stamps and Aria didn't have the stamps in her bags and she lost it. I mean, it, it didn't make sense that she was that upset. So I kind of let her, and I let me just preface this with, I have a long way to go in terms of my mindfulness journey. So we all do. Um, Don't worry. This was this was a good example, but I stopped. I let her stop crying and said it was okay. And then I said, Arya, you seemed, you know, more upset in the last day or two. Is something going on? You know, how was school yesterday? What happened? And I found out that on the playground, her friends who usually play with her weren't playing with her. And the other friends were doing this monster game that was scaring her. And so she kind of didn't have a positive experience, right? She was feeling left out. And so we talked through what do you do when something like that happens? And that, you know, whether she's happy, sad, you know, anxious that she can always come talk to me about it. And so I felt like for us, it was a big breakthrough. breakthrough. Because usually when she gets that upset, I I get more upset. Yeah. And I'm, why why are you acting this way? And so we actually got to talk about... You know, and and you know, for, I mean, and we all know this as as parents. There's so many times that that happens during the day. Yeah, it's so hard every time to step mm-hmm. back and be like, let's talk it out. Let's talk. You know, like, and yeah. of course we need to, and we try our best. But yeah, that's I think that's a huge breakthrough. Yeah, that's a total Daniel Tiger moment. It was a Daniel. <laughs> yes, for sure. Daniel Tiger. Love it. So then, Thajo, like, how do you stay calm? Like, what are your kind of techniques? So you know. One of the, when I was doing research, because I am very scientific minded because I, you know, I am an attorney, so I do like to do research. I'm not, I mean, I am woo woo and I like spiritual stuff, but I also like to know the science behind it. And so when I was trying to understand, because I'm someone who has an anxiety stress response type predominantly. um, And then I would, when I would really feel truly overwhelmed, I would go into anger rages. That's my pattern. And what I recognize is that you know, um, there's, this is based actually a little bit in Ayurveda, but also scientifically that, you know, we have three different, we only have three different stress responses, anxiety, anger, which is the, the fight, and then it's shutting down. So you either fall in, and we all have some aspects of this depending on what it is, but you have a predominant category of how you handle stress. And so for me, when I recognize, okay, I'm the anxious times, if I get my anxiety under control, what really helps with that? And we think that like, you know, our greatest stress response is or stress relief is working out. But that's actually just one third of uh, a full complete stress relief uh, regimen. And so for someone who has anger rages, like predominantly anger rages, Movement and dumping out stressful energy, the toxic toxic energy is crucial because that means that if you have an exertion of snapping out, it is crucial that you move out the cortisol and the adrenaline that courses to your veins even after the moment passes. 
So, okay. So I knew that. So I was like, all right. So when I, if I have a snap out moment, I got to make sure that I'm doing something rigorous because I need to dump out those stress hormones. But for someone, like if you feel anxious and you're worrying and you're overthinking, and that's where I usually am most days, is that for people like for that, safety and feeling safe in your body is crucial. So to feel grounded, because the easiest place to go is in your mind and outside of your body, which means that you're not feeling the emotions. You're totally disconnected to what's happening. So what I realize is that for anyone, and that's my stress type, it's not so much what I do in the moment. Mainly in the moment, I have to just stay silent. It's what I do ahead of time that it's kind of like putting money in the bank. And so for me, even just taking three to five minutes of silence and breathing and for stress responses with anxiety, it's actually taking in deep breaths, but exhaling longer than you inhale. So that's another big thing is like we are taught to take deep breaths, but we don't even know the types of breaths that we're supposed to be doing. And so for that, it's like, so I count in one count and then I'll exhale two counts. And so, um, and, and the pause. So I, I, I should mention, take in a count, breathe in for one count, hold it for a count, exhale for two, then do it for, breathe in for two, hold it for two, exhale for three. And so I can, I do this like during carpool. I do this while I'm making breakfast because I know that when I wake up in the morning, I'll check in. Do I feel anxious or do I feel Okay. And for kids, I teach it, do you feel yummy or do you feel yucky? And so you could even say that to yourself, just do a quick five second check-in from the moment that you wake up, because you'll know if you're in a heightened state of arousal or your stress response, or if you're in a baseline state. And so for me, it's the constant awareness of I got to make sure that I'm doing those breathing. And if I, if I'm lucky enough and I wake up early, then I will sit and have like a 10 minute meditation Um, but that for anxious people, that's what you really need to be doing. So I really put the money in the bank in the beginning of the day. And that really helps. I found that it really helps me. It's not so much what I do in the moment because I can stay silent when I'm at like my baseline or below baseline. I love that. I think I've, I've actually just started my, my mom and my, my parents are very into meditation and Ayurveda and, and all that stuff. So everything you're saying to me, resonates with me like a lot. Um, and I'm a ex-attorney too. So I, I understand the research logical side, but um, I've actually started doing that daily. I don't even know if I know how to meditate. Uh, you know, I, I know that takes years and years of just continuous practice, but I do sit down every morning for five minutes just silently. I'm, I don't know if it's helping me. I'm just starting the practice at mm-hmm. least because I feel like every day I could be anxious, you know, like I could, it could be a stressful day to little kids, husbands working all the time. I'm kind of like a single parent a lot, quote unquote. So I love, and, and the breathing thing, like just trying to practice that as well. It takes, it takes practice mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. I, I agree with you. Um, for years I've, tried to meditate and I always felt like if I was not sitting down for 10 minutes or 20 full minutes or listening to the things I needed to that I couldn't do it and you know with the girls everyone knows we all know that some days they come in our room in the middle of the night you know some days we wake up later and so similarly I just if I can fit in a cup, two minutes, mm-hmm. I give myself two minutes or 12 deep breaths in the shower, you know, just something small. And actually on my laptop, I have the Thrive Global logo, yeah. Ariana Huffington's new thing. And so I'm supposed, it's supposed to remind me to do some deep breaths, yeah. you know, but agreed. I think it's knowing that we can start with something small and that alone can help versus it being a full meditation hour. I just know? appreciate taking a shower and sometimes yeah. I'm like, thank God. Or using the restroom by myself. I'm like, yeah, we don't all need to be in here. This is fine. It's cool. Exactly. My husband's like, you're still in the shower. I'm like, this is my own. Yeah. I sub- I sometimes wash myself eight times. Exactly. And he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, taking a shower. It's fine. Doing my deep breathing. <laughs> Hiding in a corner. Uh, and so, um, Daniel, so I know you focus on these two main things. You teach simple ways for moms to, to stress less and live more mindfully. And then you also help children 
cope with stress better. And so I kind of wanted you to talk about your Mindful Kids personal coaching program that you do because I love it. I think it's amazing. I am definitely signing up. Um, I have actually never heard of anyone anyone else doing it. So maybe I just don't know what's happening. But I, I checked it out uh, this week and I, yeah, it seems amazing. So can you, can you talk about that a little bit more? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you haven't seen anything else out there because ain't nobody doing anything like that. Hells, yeah. That's what I thought. I was like, this is just... This, I like, this is amazing stuff. I really have never heard of anyone doing this. Yeah. I mean, short of you yourself becoming a certified meditation or mindfulness teacher, there's really no other way to do it, especially to teach kids. And that's why I wanted to change that. Because, And to be honest with you, I actually don't use the word meditation for exactly how you guys – there is like this inherent – of like intimidation factor with meditation. And I think it brings more stress. And so, and plus like I go teach in public schools and you know, some people are weird about the whole meditation thing. So I call it, even with my moms, I call it just taking a breathing break or a peaceful pause. Yeah. So that's what I teach kids. And it's not daunting. And like exactly like how you guys are saying, like in the bathroom, in the car, in the shower, like that's, it's just putting these deposits in your bank. And it doesn't have to be this formal 20 minute, I need to be quiet and everything needs to be still and I need my mind to shut down because it's really unrealistic. (laughs) Totally. Okay. So with the kids, this is like, I mean, this is where my heart and soul is because, um, this is what I've been doing for the last seven years. So basically the way that I, I started teaching the kids at the school and I realized that my training wasn't enough. Like they didn't teach me enough about the stuff that like I was, I struggled with when I was a kid. So a lot of it selfishly was like, okay, when I was a four-year-old, what would have really helped me? Like I was struggling with anxiety. I was struggling with low self-esteem. What would have really helped me? And so basically it was me going through my own journey as an adult and then dumbing it down so that kids can understand it and it's fun and it's accessible and you can infuse it in a busy mom's life in just three minutes. Like it had to be a practice because my practice was small. Like I wasn't, like I'm telling you, I'm not sitting there for 30 minutes and journaling and, you know, doing all this like great things <laughs> you could do yeah. if you have kids. Um, yeah. Lighting candles. Yes, lighting candles. <laughs> now it's like, the fake candles because the t- yeah. <laughs> um, I just spray perfume everywhere now. I'm like, I don't have time. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, um, yeah. I actually accidentally the other day, <laughs> I was so out of it. I sprayed Windex <laughs> and I was like, wait, what am I doing? Like, this is, this is not a good thing to do. <laughs> I don't even know why I was doing it. I mean, seriously. And I was sober. I have no idea. Whatever. Anyways, sorry. Go go ahead, bitch. No <laughs> I'm just laughing at myself. Um, yeah. So so basically, I what what after seven years of like trying and testing, I basically came up with four crucial life skills every child needs to thrive to really truly feel happy, resilient, and confident. And so basically, what I do is the first first aspect of it is, you know, children's first language is play. They learn through play. They learn through, um, you know, interaction with us. So it's just introducing. And I, and I, and I walk what I talk because I been, I mean, I teach kids at school starting from age three and three and a half, but my son, I've been infusing this and he's almost three now. So he's been, you know, doing this since he's like, I mean, well, from the womb almost, but like, you know, me teaching him consciously, it's been since he's been 18 months, like where I've been talking about it, reading about it, exposing him. And so um, through my experience of teaching students and my son is that they really naturally can pick this up. And they, you know, when you're teaching them, like, because there's different breathings, like I was telling you, like when you're anxious or angry, or versus when you feel sad, and you need to boost your energy, or if they're feeling tired, there's different breathing techniques that helps your body respond, and find that balance. So it's fun ways of first introducing it to them through play. And this is like, you know, when you're playing with them, and you can recognize a moment where they're like, you know, like one of the one of the breaths is like bare breath, it's like, you know, getting down with them and like, teaching them like you know when you when you feel like this this is when you do bare breath and just keep repeating it 
So that's the first step. And then the second step is the emotional intelligence, like I talked to you about, really building, managing, recognizing, um, expressing emotions. Um, and one, uh, the greatest thing with this is that as you teach your child, you are learning yourself. So totally. like, and we really do need, like when I'm reading certain books or teaching my son, we are like in preschool of mindfulness. So we need to be learning the same level as them. And there's yes. no, like us needing to be gurus and masters and really have to really master it in our life. No, we actually just need the willingness to show up and learn it in the most basic form. And we really do. And when we mess up, like I apologize to my son all the time. Like I, mommy messed up mommy was upset, you know, what can mommy do differently? And we like talk about it, you know? And um, so that's the second aspect is the emotions. And then the third aspect is um, the stress. So really helping, like, what is your child's unique stress response? And I think when a parent is like hardwired with that information, they come with so much more confidence because in those moments of chaos, you recognize what's happening, what brain state are they in, what's the stress response, and you know exactly what to do. And if it needs to be silence, like if you need to be silent, you have that empathy in order to be silent enough to let whatever needs to ride through. And just like Priya, how you had the awareness of like when you were silent and you we're able to recognize and talk to your daughter about like, hey, I recognize that, you know, that awareness only comes through that pause that can happen because I feel like intuitively we're so connected to them and the wisdom just kind of gets downloaded to us that, hey, like talk about this or bring this up. And, and, and there's like this deeper connection that really forms. Um, and then the fourth aspect of it is building self-confidence, um, connection to their inner power, like children knowing their inner power, like they're not little beings that need to be reach their full potential when they make X, Y, and Z or do X, Y, and Z. It's like giving them the empowerment that you have this within you. All the answers are within your two-year-old, three-year-old body. It's just, I'm going to help you unfold and connect to that and stay connected to that. So that's the four areas. But wow. Man, I just feel like I learned a like so much just now, <laughs> right? Like, it's amazing. Awesome. I know. So how can people sign up? Yeah. So I, enrollments actually, um, for a limited time because the classes start in February, but they can just go to, um, thajalvpatel.com forward slash mindful kids enroll. And I do it a group live coaching because I really like to bring my energy. I like parents to be able to ask me the questions and the struggles that they're having. So that's why I do it live. I show up live. I'm accessible to you, you know, for uh, questions. Um, it's not just like a, a course that you're taking online and you're you're taking it yourself. So, yeah. um, we'll link to this in the in the show notes. For awesome. Well. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And and we'll just come to Jersey and hang out with you <laughs> for, for sure. I'd love it. You know, and I have actually another question. What one last question, and then we'll um we'll we'll talk to you, Priya. But uh, what about dads? Don't dads need this? For shizzle. <laughs> yeah. like, you know what's really what like really, I know uh, like we're all like yeah. you know, I know women are crazy and we're like all over the place, but I mean like dads need to, you know, yeah. lesson two here. Yeah. I you know what um through my journey, I originally I would like force because I knew like my husband needed it. I'm like, oh, why don't you try this? Why don't you try it? And I feel like it kind of gave put a sour taste in his mouth. And then when I backed off and I just kind of focused on my own practice. It's so crazy, but my husband now meditates or he'll take deep breaths and he has incorporated in his own life. And I see it with our son too. Like he is so much, and I know his dad was not mindful and his childhood yes. was not, you know, it was pretty challenging too. And I see yeah. that when one person in the, in the parental unit starts infusing it and doesn't push the other person, they just, it's just this natural unfolding yeah. um, that happens. I think this is true with all husbands, by the way. Like, yes. every day, go to the gym, go to the gym, go to the gym. And then two years later, I was like, what am I doing? And then like a week after I stopped, he's like, oh, I'll go to the gym. I'm like, oh, really? Yeah, they, still wanna be <laughs> they don't want to be told. Yes. So you kind of you gotta Same be all thing. sneaky about it. See, Nazar, you're learning a lot about marriage. I'm going to use this, Sajal, because yeah. I always tell my husband when he gets stressed at work, like, you need to calm your mind. And, you know, he's like, <laughs> I'm like, you need to do deep breaths. And he's just like. Hell no. Yeah. <laughs> I am going to try practicing more regularly and hoping that he decides to do it. Yeah, we have to, you have to kind of like Yoda them, you know, yes. like be all sneaky. Yeah. 
and they'll eventually crawl, yes. come and come yeah, into exactly. your cave. Yeah. Right? Go see the light. <laughs> So Priya and I are part of a prestigious book club here. Well, I haven't Very been to a meeting. Um, and she had, she presented this. She was the first presenter of the year. Oh, nice. Um, Brene Brown. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. That was like Brene Brown. Yes. Um, Darren Gray. She's a very big fan, and oh, it yeah. was Obsessed. amazing. Me too. Me too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I know. Well, the reason why I connect, I was like, let me do a brown table talk with these two girls because both you guys mentioned Brene Brown. Yeah. Obviously, a lot of people yeah. like her, but, but I'm, yeah. you know what? I know you guys are doing different things, but I feel like you guys have the same synergy, yeah. and then we can just kind of, you know, we're all moms. Yeah. So, yeah. So, Priya, you are currently you're actually in corporate right yes, now, corporate I'm America. Still in corporate. Do you want to continue doing that? And how does that affect you, you your... a really good question. And actually talking to you too is so motivating because you guys have taken this leap. And I still am at a place where from Indian parents, right? You know, what is the, what is the stable path? Like, where do I have a quote unquote career growth and career path? And so I always end up falling back into corporate, you know, sales and marketing where I started, where I know I can be successful but my passion lies in this you know and so how do I make that a career and I feel like I'm playing it a little too safe still so that's okay something I do on the side and I have to find a way to you know exercise my creative passions and so I do it through this um you know but I hope to one day be able to do this full time but I think in order to do that I have to create a vision board and create a plan of what that looks like. I think, and I think when you're completely ready to take that step, you will. Yeah, I mean, you already yeah. are taking the step. Um, <laughs> I know you are a lot about self-care and positive self-talk, which is so hard to do as a mom. So I guess, can you talk to us about what you do for self-care or what, how we can start taking care of ourselves better? So I had Aria, you know, my older daughter, yep. and also had a husband who traveled a lot, wasn't home a lot. So it was just basically me with these girls. Yep. And um, and so the first year was all about survival mode. But I realized, similar to you, I've worked on my anger rages. Um, but I realized because I felt like my life was no longer my own that I started getting, you know, angry about it and I didn't feel good about myself. And so... Um, I really wanted to share that with other mothers because yeah. I thought I'm not the only one who feels this Well, no way. one talks about like the insane amount of changes you go through once you have a kid and yep. not just physically because my God, losing that weight and then the emotional changes and then just kind of being in a way you're just kind of you're everyone's support, which is an mm-hmm. amazing role to have. Right. But then you're like, wait, what about me? Yes. And then, you know, to a lot of the things you talked about, Tejal, I felt like I couldn't be the best mom because I wasn't taking care of myself. And I think that we all grew up with moms who were extremely selfless, right? It's, it was all about sacrificing everything for our children. But I remember this interview with former First Lady Michelle Obama that she got a lot of flack for, but really resonated with me where she said, I have to take care of me first, you know, and when I take care of me, I can be a better mom to my daughters. And so that really propelled me to start doing little things to take care of myself, you know, again, two minutes of deep breathing, um, decompressing at night, you know, having 30 minutes that are just my own, even if that means watching a mindless television show, and not judging myself for it, you know, taking time to exercise you know you feel selfish especially as working mothers when you have any free time you think all this time needs to be with my children you're in like constant guilt yes always and so you know someone once told me they were like they said guilt is a useless emotion and they are exactly right so i try to think if i get to exercise today i feel better about myself my interactions with my children are therefore more positive. And so I really want to encourage women to take those little steps to take care of yourself. Because if 
as you said, we, t we take care of and support everyone. And if we're not doing well, no one else is doing well. And it's okay to take care of yourself. Do you think like our moms, because my mom was the same way where when I talked to her about it now, she's like, yeah, you know, I just gave up everything for you guys. Mm -hmm. In my mind, I'm like, are they just better people? <laughs> or like, are we, it's a different time now, you know, we are trying to do it all, right? Exactly. I just, I wonder, I'm like, did, how, how has it changed like this? Like my mom didn't, it didn't seem to affect my mom at all. No. Like she was like, yeah, it is what it is. Like it was expected. And I felt like maybe they had less pressure back then to like have the perfect so. house and the perfect career and the perfect hair and yes, even though they all look good anyways, but right? We, yeah, we were no, perfect angels. That's why. That's true. <laughs> yes. That is true. My mom was like, you never acted like that. And I was like, okay, mom. Yeah. You know, I mean. I mean, I did have Pop-Tarts every day for like seven years, but oh whatever, God. fine. So I just had this like a little twitch on the no, side. but I, I think that's exactly right. That have you seen, I think this article was on Scary Mommy before the school year began. And it literally said, Going to school, getting your kids ready for school in the 70s, and getting your kids ready for school today. And 70s was like you uh, you go to Sears, get a new outfit, make a bologna sandwich in the morning, send them outside to play after when they get home, right? Yeah. And today was... Um, you go and get the perfectly coordinated outfit two months two months in advance. You get a lunchbox with their name monogrammed on it. Then you make a perfectly organic meal in a bento box, and then you take them to four classes afterwards and piano and you know. And math. you better have your makeup on too. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I think as much as I love social media, because you know I'm obsessed with some Instagram, but I think that has also you know. When we see pictures of all these other moms looking so perfect, we think, ugh, we're just a mess. And so I really try through my writing and through Instagram to tell women, no, I don't always feel good about myself, yeah. you know? And I go out without makeup and I feel guilty about leaving my children and it's not always perfect all the time. And I think it's important for people to hear that. Yeah, because I feel like it's such a – and Tejo, I don't know what you think. I feel like it's been – such a not a taboo subject to talk about yourself and, and mm -hmm. self care and taking care like it makes it it makes you feel like you're being a bad mother yeah right like you're all about yourself so yeah. no one no one talks about it that mm -hmm. much I mean I think it's more and more now with people yeah. like you that are just like no like you know go get your hair did or like yes. just go whatever I, honestly if I don't exercise I'm just a different person yeah. Yeah. A lot of people feel that way. I feel yucky, not yummy, you know? <laughs> exactly. You know what I love, Rita, what you, what you said? And it's – I think sometimes moms especially have this big picture of like, oh, I need like a X chunk amount of time to like relax. And mm -hmm. like you're talking about little pockets of like, you know, going to the gym for 25 minutes or 30 minutes or just like even if you can go for 10 minutes, like, you know, whatever, mm -hmm. like – it, or like, you know, two minutes of just breathing. I think that's just making it really like accessible and not having to be like a spa day or a mani yeah. or having to go shopping for half a day and getting like this amazing outfit or something, you know, like right. those things are great, but that's not what sustains you on a day in and day out basis. Definitely exactly. not. And it's not even, yeah, you can't spa day. That's like a joke. <laughs> that's like for my 10 year anniversary. I mean, seriously. Exactly. So what about positive self-talk? So for me, it took me a long time to get to a place of positive self-talk. So similar to you, Rachel, I used to, you know, berate myself. Everything was wrong. Um, when I grew up, my older sister and I are best friends. But while I was going through my extremely awkward phase, I mean, glasses, braces, wasn't allowed to use a blow dryer or straightener yet, she was blossoming into this beautiful girl right and I remember distinctly we'd go to these Indian parties and you know how Indian parents are you know they don't hold back and they'd be like oh Pooja you look so pretty and then they just kind of look at me you know? <laughs> they're like, and, they're like oh, and what is that exactly? yeah. <laughs> nice to see you too and as a young kid you know it affects you, you. hold on to that right yeah, oh, yeah. That, I'm still mad at some aunties know, yeah, <laughs> girl you look at my eyebrows now. I look good now. Oh my, gosh, I my eyebrows like nobody's business. Um, For you, my awkward face was like 14 years. Okay, don't worry about it. 
You know, and I remember I also grew up in a household where, you know, you had to, you were expected to go into certain professions, you were expected to get certain grades, you were expected to do those things, which I didn't necessarily always fulfill those things. And so I really grew up not thinking much of myself, you know, and so, and no matter, even when I got blowouts and, you know, got the right makeup, I still would find... You had the insecurity. In yes. Yeah. Still find all the flaws. Yeah. And so, again, I think after I had the girls, I thought, I can't talk to myself like this anymore, either to myself or out loud, because these are impressionable girls. And I want these two girls to grow up strong and confident. And so there's a lot of thought leaders that I started reading like Brene Brown. I think Brene Brown was a game changer because I felt like she was talking to me like, yes, this is me. And Glennon Doyle Melton and Oprah and, you know, all these people and started making small changes. So like you said, started doing, you know, affirmations sometimes. I don't do them much anymore, but saying nice things about myself, um, I would put quotes up as well. I would do my gratitude journal. And not always consistently, right? But still. And and then I started reading people like Sean Acor as well and thinking, how do I make myself happier, right? Like no one else can do this for me because I was very similar. Victim mentality. It's because everyone treats me this way. And, you know, I have to deal with these people. And read people like him who have backed by scientific data, very small changes you can make in your life to become more content with who you are. And yeah. so those are the kinds of things I do. And I think these affirmations and, and putting quotes on your mirror, whatever yeah. you do, yeah, that may sound cheesy, but it works. I it believe totally in this law works. of attraction and... Yeah, no, I have it everywhere. So I'm like, this is my uh, computer quote. I have enough yeah. time. <laughs> and you know, like I, and of course in your 20s, you're like, oh, it's so cheesy. I don't need, but like, I think as you do get older or whatever, having kids, whatever it is, you you do realize that that positive energy, it's a real thing. It's and absolutely. honestly, the first time I did it was last year, ever, where I wrote something down. My, so my husband's been doing it forever. Yeah. Oh, really? That's awesome. Forever. He was like, he knew he wanted to get into Stanford, wow. wrote it down, got in. New Harvard, wrote it down. This is like years before. Yeah. When he met me, that night he wrote it down, I will marry Ami and oh. put it under Ganesh. Wow. Wow. Four years later, that fool got it, man. I yeah. mean, it worked. Master manifester right there. <laughs> he is. He is. And That's so like amazing. the first time I actually wrote anything down, well, no, I, 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 let me take that back. I wrote it down before I had the girls because I wanted yeah. kids. Yeah. Um, but something more for myself was – I will make this podcast happen and it will be big. And that was probably last June or July. And I was like, Mm -hmm. okay, you know what? I got to start trying this. And, you know, a few months later we launched. But I I believe in that. And I think that it works, you know, and and what you throw out there comes back to you. Yeah, I agree. And I think I remember distinctly I took this online class on OWN and you had to, you know, I think it was Brene Brown actually. And you had to write out, you know, that you were a creative being and things about yourself. And I, I love school supplies, by the way, love them. So I bought all these markers and glitter and I wrote that I was a creative being and I put it on my mirror and I swear it worked. And despite my husband making fun of me about it every day, he's like, Oh, so you're a creative being, huh? And I was like, yes, I am. Yes. And, but it really happens. It does. Oh yeah. No, I have, a, I got a little board and I started just putting stuff on it. Cause I'm like, what is it called? Vision boards. Yeah. Yes. That stuff. I mean, it's like, like one third done, but it's yeah. something, you know? Yeah, and, and, something. and I think that's why even on things like Instagram, those, some of those quotes resonate so deeply with yeah. people because sometimes you just need to read that or hear that and remind yourself. Sometimes you don't want to see a selfie, you know? Yeah, You're exactly. like, all right, fine. You look yeah. good. Yeah. It's fine. Okay, so, you know, uh, Priya, you have, I don't know, 11,000, 12,000 followers now, which is amazing. I know, Theodore, you have a ton, five, 6,000 as well. What, what do you want to teach them? What, what do you want to help them? What's kind of like your main takeaway for them? I think it's all the things we just talked about, right? Okay. I want I want women to know that they're powerful and they're strong and they don't have to do it all all the time, right? And that that 
they need, you know, that it's okay to love yourself. It's okay to mess up and get back up again. That I wanted to be a place where that lifts women up. Yeah. You know, that's always been extremely important to me, even writing for model behaviors that we lift women up. And I think we're really living in such an incredible time right now. Yeah. Women are supporting each other and lifting each other up and helping each other achieve their goals. And I really want it to be a place where, you know, women can come to feel that way. I also like to dress up sometimes. So it's, you know, it's yeah, not it's all about fun. fashion. It's but fun. since my husband's in menswear, you know, once in a yeah. while, yeah. I like to show an outfit. It is and, nice. It's nice to have you that. Know, I now feel confident doing that. Six months ago or even a year ago, I would have thought someone's going to judge me. They're going to think I'm vain or they're going to think that doesn't look good. And I'm like, if I feel good in it, I'm going to post matter. it. And you I, know? you know, I'm going through that right now. You know, yeah. I'm just starting on Instagram and social media scares mm-hmm. me, but you know what? I think the more and more you do it, the more confident you are mm-hmm. on who you are. And I also I also think personally for me, and I, I talked to Ami Ravel Desai about yeah. this, I have these rocks, my husband, my kids, and I just yeah. feel like, you know what? I have enough confidence now and I have these people that support me and, yes. I, and I can just be me now. Yes. You know? and it, it took yeah. me this long to do it, but it's okay. I wasn't ready before. And so now, basically what I'm saying is I'm ready for to do selfies. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I need some selfies. I need some selfies. Your pictures are beautiful. I, I mean, it takes me like 20 selfies. takes and I'm like, eh, eh, but you know. Yeah. And I think just exposing them. Yeah. Not that information is so readily available, but just exposing them to some of the people that make me feel good. Like, yeah. I listen to the Oprah Super Soul yep. Sunday podcast. So good. I follow thrive on Instagram because Ariana Huffington wrote that incredible book about getting the right amount of sleep. And mm-hmm. we think sleep makes us lazy, but it doesn't. It 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 makes us whole. Oh, and oh so yeah. who are those people that I follow that lift me up? And maybe you can follow them too. For sure. And speaking of sleep, Vigil, uh, we'll talk later about how to get my four-year-old daughter back in her bed. <laughs> and my three-year-old. This is so interesting to me because you have what Deja was talking about your when you talk about your parents and you talk about the struggles that they went through that affect their parenting that also affect your parenting but when you think back to the outlets that our parents had when they were new to marriage new to parenthood they how, how many of them do you think were listening to radio shows or television programs about parenting none of them no. they didn't have, they didn't have they access didn't have to exposure. it and yeah that's have, right they didn't have, have those every, tools exactly we have every resource it's up to us as as parents or, or partners to reach out and find the value in those resources that are available you know online is the connection to to everything the internet is mm-hmm. is there for for all of us and i i'm also interested in 10 20 years when we are also into the late part of us as, as parents um, to see what new will be available for our kids, because you see this with gener- Generation X, Y, Z, where you have the parents who were not at all involved with their kids. You mm-hmm. have the parents who are overly involved with their kids yes. to to the point where you have helicopter parenting. And it's just like every single choice of your child is micromanaged by you as the parent. And you'll see the consequences of that. And then is there a middle ground? What is that middle ground? I find it very curious. I don't really know the answers to any of that. I'm just now taking my first steps into marriage, let alone parenthood, you know, being in the in the future. Oh, that's future. a whole other podcast yeah. right there. It's a whole other yeah, podcast. Seriously. But it's like, where, where do we see, you know, are there consequences? Because whenever Tejal talked about her early life growing up with parents who you're, you're, you're walking on pins every day, you're trying to work through what am I doing as a child to make sure my parent is behaving in a certain way or not to set them off. And I feel like my early childhood was the opposite where I had parents who were thankfully very encouraging about a lot of stuff about uh, what I wanted to study going into high school, college. And there were, it was that still that South Asian mentality of, yeah, you're creative, but how can you monetize that? Where's the, where's the money and all this. And and for me, it was like, I don't, I didn't care about that. And I find that hard now because it's like I'm having to be an adult and I do have to monetize everything that is important and a hobby to me even. And how do I do that? But those things were just as much affecting to me of them being overly positive. But then the guilt was there when I wasn't doing something that I think they'd be proud of. The guilt is still there. It's like, who am I giving enough attention to? And it's usually everyone except for me. 
and how is that corrosive to me and my mm-hmm. personal journey? Because that is also going to affect my kids. Where it's like, I'm also going to take that and I'm going to be giving all my attention and all my love to my kids. And I'm fearful. Am I going to forget my wife? Am I going to forget myself and all that? She won't and let I, you. She, <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> right. But yeah. it, it, it's the same thing. It's like you when you give so much of that attention away... I end up resenting those things. Yeah. Right? Yes. You end, end it's up a resenting balance. your kids and unconsciously, right? Yeah. And 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 it's just like there's that me time that I have to give uh, a lot of the percentage of my attention to. And it starts early. It starts yeah. now into my marriage before yeah. I have kids. Self-care. Self-care, exactly. And so you, I'm learning so much about that. And while I feel that I'm, I'm empathetic to what my wife will be going to, uh, it's just going to be like on the spot. Those things will be a test to me. And yeah. I, I'm glad I'm doing research now. Thanks to you. Great women. Um, so thank you. Yay. Awesome. We're, we're, we're really in a future. Yeah. Dad. And you know, there's yes. a book that I yeah. want, um, Nazar, I'm reading it. I'm my friend and I do like, uh, our own little book club, but it's called the masks of masculinity by Lewis Howes or Hughes. I'm not quite sure how to say his last name. But you know, there's so many books for women on like this whole like spiritual awakening movement. This is the first book that I read from a man, like a relatable man's point of view of the different masks that men have had to wear just over generations and centuries. And what you're touching upon is a, a pinpoint of like how we've you know, expected or husbands or brothers or dads to be and what their role is and how it kind of prevents them from being vulnerable and, you know, touching their emotions and how, and it's so groundbreaking. So, I mean, you brought that up. So I just wanted to put that out there to check. That's a great, great suggestion. I'm I'm getting that for a part for sure. It's fantastic. But you, but you can't. No, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna it. throw it in the <laughs> corner. I'll put a beer on it and be like, I don't know what that is. Yeah, no idea. Is <laughs> but, but actually, Brene Brown talks about that in some of her books as well. Not at not from a masculine point of view, but how several men have come up to her after her talk saying thank you because as a man, it's so difficult to be vulnerable. Like yeah. we expect our men to be strong and not cry, but then we want them to open up to yeah. us, and so you know that's a hard. We, not, we get confused so. sometimes too. Yes, yes we do. We too. drink the Kool Aid as well. I mean, that's just the reality yes. of it. So. Yeah. Man, we have a lot of hormones. It's, not our fault. it's fine. For real. <laughs> I mean, for real. Yeah. This should be yeah. cray. Like, can everyone? Can everything inside I calm know. down, please? <laughs> like, seriously, um, guys. So much fun. Thank you both for joining Thank us you. for this brown table yeah. talk. And uh, yeah. Thejo, we will get together for drinks. Oh, absolutely. Well, I think that'll do it for this week. That was pretty inspirational. I really enjoyed our time. Thank it was you guys. awesome. I feel like I learned a lot just in that one talk. Yeah, for sure. And you can follow Tejal um, on Instagram, Tejal V Patel, T-E-J-A-L-V. P-A-T-E-L. And also check out her site, theagilbpatel.com. Mm-hmm. Check and out the classes that she talked about for definitely. sure. And uh, Priya, you can follow her at Priya, B-R, P-R-I-Y-A-B-R. And um, I think that wraps it up. Yeah. And you guys know where you can find us, amituckeredout.com. Uh, email us some stories about parenting, things that, struggles that you've had. Amituckeredout at gmail.com is where you can say that. You already know where our social media handles twitter.com facebook.com instagram.com slash amituckeredout that's a-m-i-t-u-c-k-e-r-e-d-o-u-t and look for us we'll see you all next, next week. week this is Ami Tuckered Out thanks a lot